Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I'm glad to be with you all this morning. As we celebrated Mother's Day, I couldn't help but think about one of the things I love about Sanctuary is that it really celebrates all women. It's not just mothers. Um, Sanctuary really has a heart. The pastors and the team all have a heart for women. So when you see me up here and you wonder why I'm not speaking as often, it's purely my choice. Please know that because our staff is very, very supportive of all that we do. I always enjoy Mother's Day. Um, probably my most cherished role in life is as being a mother. But there's some surprises that came with motherhood that I never really expected. Some of it was some of the sentences I never thought I would say. <laughs> I never thought I would say, oh, honey, don't put a fork in your nose. I don't care if there's corn in there. We still don't use a fork. Or don't let the baby suck on your toes, please. <laughs> I never thought in the same evening I would go into one room and go, go to sleep. You do not need to study anymore. Grades are not that important. You need your sleep. And then walk down the hall to the other room and go, what are you doing? You should be studying. Grades are important. I don't care if you miss some sleep. You need to get this done. But the thing that probably surprised me the most about being a mom is I never knew I would be so willing to lay down my life for someone. Whew, my allergies are acting up already. <laughs> Mother's Day is hard for some. The Hallmark cards make it sound like every mom is a saint, like none of them had the mom voice. You know what that is. They, they never yelled about wet towels being left on wood furniture, and they never fantasize about getting in their car and just driving alone for hours. <laughs> we have four children, ages 25 to 35, and I remember in the busy years thinking about what it would be like to move to Arizona or New Mexico alone <laughs> in a townhouse where I didn't have to get all kinds of little winter clothes together and get people ready to go out the door, where I could have a lot of glass objects Antiques, rare books, things that children couldn't touch. I dreamed about wearing white and not having handprints at knee level, or wearing black and not having spit up stains on my shirt. <laughs> oh, it's hard. But the Target commercials that we watch, the Tide commercials, they don't show the reality of motherhood, do they? They show these perfect little moms that are perfectly dressed and they frown their perfect little faces over a stain and then they get the solution and life is peachy again. They don't talk about the long nights, the nights where you've been thrown up on and pooped on, where you've taken temperatures all night and you've slept in a bed with a toddler. And you know, toddlers never sleep up and down. Toddlers always sleep sideways and they kick you all night long. My kids were all early talkers. They had very large vocabularies, and most of them talked all the time. And oftentimes, they wouldn't realize that their siblings were talking. So they would all just look at me and all be talking to me at the same time, totally oblivious of everyone else. I remember one morning, and, and it was, I think it was a rough day. I can't remember if we went to the zoo 
or vacation Bible study, but it was something where everybody was exhausted and hungry. And I had everybody home, and I was trying to fix lunch as fast as I could. I had three of them sitting around the table, and the baby was in her high chair. And I started thinking about Brent having lunch out <laughs> with colleagues in a clean suit and a starched shirt. And all the kids were looking at me, and they were all talking at the same time. And then all of a sudden, the baby started crying. I stopped and I looked at them and I screamed as loud as I could. There was a brief moment of silence and then we all started laughing. TV commercials don't show that. They don't show the agony of your middle schooler getting hurt by mean girls at school. And you know you can't call their parents because their mom is a mean girl too. No one tells you that when your child is sobbing over a breakup of a boyfriend or a girlfriend, that your heart breaks too, that the pain is almost unbearable, that you would go through it yourself to keep them from hurting. You would go through rejection, heartache, fevers, broken bones, surgeries, anything to spare them. And that's when we get a small glimpse of the heart of God. God, holy, mighty, all-powerful, creator of the universe, and his heart breaks when ours does. He feels our pain. Yes, God is like a mom in providing food and shelter and the provision of all of our practical needs, but I really see God in the, I want to take this away from you. I love you so much. I want to spare you. For God so loved the world. God so loved us that he gave his only son. He loves us that much. But it can get confusing when we try to put the attributes of mothers and fathers on God. Because some of our human role models weren't all that great, including us for our own kids. I'm pretty sure that God doesn't stop and scream because I talk to him too much. For some of you, Mother's Day is hard. You either desperately want to be a mom and you aren't, or you know how you've blown it sometimes as a mom, or maybe your mom has passed away, or you didn't have a good relationship with your mom. For some of us, it's a combination of all of those. And Mother's Day can come with grief. So what do you do with Mother's Day when you have a flawed mom? When your mom doesn't look like the Hallmark moms. I work with people all the time whose mothers were terrible, abusive addicts, and if I weren't a mental health professional, I would say just plain crazy. It's hard to buy a card for those kinds of moms. I've often said I want to start my own line of greeting cards for dysfunctional families for Mother's Day and Father's Day. The ones that say what they want to hear, but also say what you want to say. For instance, I'll never forget my childhood and the influence you had in my life. I am who I am today because of you. <laughs> Mom, your legacy will live on for generations in our family. Everything I learned about love and relationships, I learned from you. Now to be fair to moms, it's a hard job and we're all human. We're going to make mistakes and we have to walk in grace for ourselves 
and for our mothers. I usually tell mom it's the best thing they can do is get a mom journal. And whatever's going on in your kid's life, write it out. And then eventually, when they see their therapist, you have your side of the story. You can come back with <laughs> Moms, really don't worry if your children are going to therapists. We really don't blame everything on you, okay? Keep that in mind. Moms play a huge role in our lives. But God's not limited by the kind of mom that we have. One of my favorite scriptures, 2 Peter uh, 1.3, says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need. That includes all that a mom can and should provide. He's so good, he doesn't say, oh, sorry, I put you in the wrong house with the wrong mom. Oh, I had a call on your life, but oh well. He placed you where he did because there was a treasure there for you. Was there trash? Yes. In most, if not every home, there was some kind of trash. We get to choose what we take out of our past, the treasures or the trash. Sometimes we have to dig a while to find the treasures in there underneath the trash. Sometimes we need help from others or the Holy Spirit to find the treasure, but it's there. If we allow ourselves to be open to what God is doing in our lives, he brings out the good and heals us from the bad. Even if we have a family generation of bad. I thought about, um, or family history, I thought about the story of Joseph in Genesis. Remember Joseph with a beautiful coat? Joseph had a lineage where there were a lot of bad things that happened. So I'm going to go through them briefly just to remind you. You remember Abraham and Sarah, and they had their promised child, Isaac. Isaac grew up, and he married Rebekah. And they had twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the one that was hairy, that was the outdoor man, outdoor man, and he was the firstborn. So he's the one who should have got the firstborn blessing. But instead, his brother Jacob and his mom conspired together and tricked him out of his blessing. She, she conspired with one son over the other. Nice mom, right? Jacob went away and fell in love with Rachel, who ended up being Joseph, that we, the coat of many colors that we know of his mother. Jacob loved her so much that he worked for her for seven years in order to get to marry her. And then right when it was time to marry her, Laban, her father, tricked him and gave him his other daughter instead. But Jacob loved Rachel so much, he worked another seven years. There's tricks and deceit on both sides of the family. There's dysfunction all over. If you remember more stories about Rachel and Leah, how they argued all the time, and Rachel was the one that when they were leaving her father Laban, she stole a, high, a household idol and hid it, and then lied to him that she didn't have it. That is Joseph's mom. She stole, and she was deceitful. Rachel has one more child, Benjamin, and she dies giving birth to Benjamin. So here's Joseph, one of 12 brothers in this huge household where kids come from wives, and they come from concubines, and his mother dies. Now, I would like to say that the other mothers pitched in and were like, we're just one big happy family all living together. But scripture doesn't support that. 
Instead, his brothers wanted to kill him, and instead they sold him into slavery. Lies and deceit, tricks, are part of Joseph's lineage. Yet everything we see about his character from then on seems strong and godly. Why? Why wasn't he deceitful if he came from a line of people that lied and did tricks? Jo Joseph made choices for his own life. He didn't allow the dysfunction of his family to make him bitter or twisted. He chose a godly life. We see it clearly not only at the end of his story when he gave, forgave his brothers, but we see it early, right after he was sold into, oops, sold into slavery, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He ran. You know the story. Joseph was faithful and trustworthy in all he did and was eventually rewarded and used greatly by God. He made a choice. Somewhere he saw his parents or someone do some things right. He learned about God, and he chose to follow that rather than the negative patterns of his family. We don't have to have perfect parents, and we don't have to be perfect parents. God is bigger than parenting. It's not an excuse to be lazy, ineffective parents, but it also strips away all of our excuses to not be all that God called us to be. We choose how we live. We choose to follow God, and somehow God heals us and restores us in the midst of life. Are there hurts from the past, things you feel like you're missing out of because of your childhood? God has everything that you need for life and godliness. It's found in him. You don't have to go searching for a mother figure or a father figure. God has what you need. Let's look now at some wonderful examples of mothers. Now, since I've spent the last decade and a half um, learning how to let go of my children and launching them out of the nest, I'm going to emphasize some godly moms who learn how to gracefully detach and cut the apron strings. When I do parenting, I always talk about the V of parenting. And it's the choices that we give our children when I do parenting seminars. It's the choices we give our children. So when you have a two-year-old, two you don't say, so honey, what time do you want to go to bed tonight? Or do you want to take a bath today or not? When you have a two-year-old, you say, you are going to bed, but you're going to have a bath before you go to bed. As the children get older, you give them more and more choices, like a V. And you allow them to make more decisions for their life and take on more responsibility for their life. I always say when we do parenting seminars, our goal is to raise healthy, functioning, independent adults. In order to do that, we have to allow them to have more and more choices and allow them to make some mistakes. And it's in the mistakes that they honestly learn the most about life. So can we let them go to be who they're supposed to be? It's hard because we love them and we don't want them to get hurt. We want to protect them. But part of being a parent is letting them go and letting them have their own lives. Control issues are not exclusive to moms. I don't know if you've seen that. So I want you to ask yourself, are there areas in my life, my job, or maybe some expectations that I'm holding on to that I want to control. There may even be some things that were given to you by God 
It, they were his promise to you, and you now need to surrender them back to him. Life in God is really a process of surrendering. Remember Hannah? Do you remember Han Hannah in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel? She prayed so desperately for a child. In fact, she was praying so desperately for a child in the temple that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. But she wanted that child. And then she was blessed with sweet little Samuel, and she weaned him, and she took him back to the temple and gave him over to God's work. 1 Samuel 1.26, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given to the Lord. We're going to do baby dedications in a little bit. And, you know, it's one thing to dedicate your child to the Lord, but she had to leave him there. I think I would be, yes, Lord, just as I promised, I'm going to leave my child here as soon as he's 10 or 12. 15 sounds pretty good. Or 25 or 40. Leave him. This is the gift that you gave me. I don't want to leave him. And even though the scripture doesn't tell us exactly how old he was, Samuel was little. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. I was glancing at that scripture this morning, and, and the end of it says, and Samuel would, or Eli would pray over her. And then the next sentence was, and then they went home. Can you imagine how hard that was to sacrifice that child and to feel like you were sacrificing them year after year as you left? And in the meantime, while Samuel was there, the sons of the priest was teaching them, the sons of the, preach, the priest that was teaching them and watching over them were evil. They did wicked things in the sight of the Lord. It had to be so hard to go, here's my sweet little boy, and I've left him here, and he's with these other big boys that are evil and that were bad. But in this process, Eli, the priest, teaches Samuel to recognize and to be open to the voice of the Lord and to speak God's word faithfully. It, it must have been hard to let him go, but God placed him where he needed to be to become who God called him to be. And he made a difference in the world. For Samuel 3.19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew. And he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. God had a plan for his life. How about Elizabeth? the mother of John the Baptist, another miracle child, born late in life. She could have tried to hang on, to keep him home, to try to form him into what she thought he should be. Like, really, John, honey, do you have to go live in the cave? Do you have to wear those kind of clothes? You might fit in a little bit better if you made some changes. But Elizabeth knew he was called of God and released him to be who he was called to be. Mary is the hardest story of all of a mother. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what she went through? The misunderstanding 
the judgment, the pain, the betrayal, the agony, watching him die a horrendous death. Can we trust God has a plan in what he's doing in our children's lives? Can we allow them to go and to trust him? Hannah trusted God for her son. So did Elizabeth and Mary. Can I trust him with other things in my life? Things that are so precious to me? Things that I felt were from him? My call? My future? My life? Can I let God heal my parent wounds? Do I believe he has the ability to help me sort through and find treasure in my life in the midst of the trash? Can I let go and know that he is big enough to deal with it all? He knows what he's doing. Whoever you are, whatever is going on in your life, God is enough and he's good. He feels your pain. He knows your sacrifices. You can trust him. Things may not look right or good right now. We go through seasons of life where there's some inexplicable that happens. But God is still there with you. And he's still good. He hasn't forgotten you or your family or what you're going through. God is safe. It may not look, what, look like what you want it to. But God is safe. And it's safe to have blind trust in him. Let me pray for just a minute. Lord, thank you. I, we probably stirred up some things in people today. But I pray, Lord, in the midst of all of this, that they will know your goodness and your grace and your peace. That anything we need, anything, any hurt we have, we can come to you and we can trust you. So bless them, Lord. S soothe over some wounds. Help them to feel your strength and your goodness and help them to know how very, very much you love each and every one of them. There is nothing that they've done that can separate them from you. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Now, before I go, I'm going to read a tribute to moms that I wrote a number of years ago. Um, get your Kleenex ready. Maybe, maybe just to send, send it up to me. Um, so this is my tribute to moms. For you in the midst of raising tinies who have sleepless nights, spit up stained shoulders, and jelly face kisses, you know the fear, anxiety, frustration, sleeplessness, and you know the, ever, the overwhelming joy of a first step, first words, and that first baby hug. You're tired and questioning. You're living in a world with little time or control or predictability and very, very little alone time. But deep down, you would not trade it for the world. The small hands, the tender cheeks, the musical giggles, and the wonder over butterflies and Elmo. In the dark nights or the tantrum afternoons, you wonder if you're enough, if you have what it takes to do this, to raise and to protect this sweet little one. With God's help, you are. He gave you this little one to love. For you in the primary years, you are in the discovery years. Who is this little flower that God has planted in your life? 
Are there learning disabilities? Will she be athletic? Will people like him? Is she pretty or he handsome? Is he top of his class or struggling to read? Will she hate that she has your hair or nose? Is the teacher really mean or have you raised an overly sensitive child? You have incredible joy when he finally scores a goal in soccer or doesn't strike out in baseball. Your eyes fill with tears as she sings loud in the school production and you feel unbelievable love and joy as you look in on him sleeping. Innocent, sweet, damp hair straight from the bath and yet somehow still smelling like a puppy. You question if you've given him what it takes to walk into school tomorrow and become all that God has called him to be. You wonder if you're enough, if you have what it takes to help him discover who he is and be proud of it. With God's help, you are enough. He gave you this little one to love and to guide. For you in the tween years, you know the concern over what he's being exposed to by friends or media or who knows what else. You worry that she's not happy with her body already and that popularity seems way too important. You live through the heartbreak of not being invited to someone to some oh-so-important event or being rejected by the person that was her best friend. You see glimpses of maturity peeking out every so often, surprising and sometimes so fleeting, you think you've imagined it. But no, it's a sign of what's to come. But you also glimpse the little one in him, still wanting to be close, to be loved and helped and treasured, but only on his terms and in his timing, your baby nonetheless. You wonder if you're enough, if you can be the rock they need in this unstable world. With God's help, you are. He has given you this little one to love and to steady. For you in the teen years, you who seem to have become unimportant, irritating, and sometimes a curse in their lives. She needs you to guide the way, to set standards, to keep loving, to live as an example. He needs you to approve of him, to find his strengths, to point out what is right in him, when his friends or even he himself is constantly finding fault. She needs you to be her champion, her backer, the one who loves her unquestioningly, even when she snubbed you in front of her friends, or he's exploded over a request to unload the dishwasher. You're needed as a rock solid presence, even though you question yourself all the time, wondering if you're doing this right, if you're enough, you are. With God's help, you are. He gave you this one to guide and to love. For you who have launched them, who have cheerfully moved her in the dorm room or sorority house, who have chattered over bedspreads or room decor, or in the case of sons, grabbed some old blankets but made sure there was a refrigerator and internet connection, but then walked around the corner and held back tears, or in my case, maybe not, and grieved the necessary but hard changes in your life that kids growing up brings. Seeing the wonderful man or woman they've become and wondering if you're doing this right, if you're enough as they leave your home to make it on their own. Are you enough to be the mom of this young adult who shows only glimpses of that little toddler? You are. 
With God's help, you are. He gave you this one to love and to guide. For you who have all grown up adult children, some with children of their own, you've seen the heartbreak of relationships, some marriages, sometimes divorce, childbirth, aching singleness. You have been through anxiety over their finances, their walk with God, their choice of jobs, their church or no church. You've seen the parts of you in your life that they've adopted as their own or outright rejected. You've seen your own strengths and weaknesses come out in their lives. And occasionally you remember. You see glimpses of the toddler in them. When she's gone running and she has a pink face and sweaty hair, you remember her playing in the backyard fort that dad built. When he is working on a report for work, you see the face that concentrated so hard years ago on his Legos. And you know her problems can't be fixed by... <laughs> Allergies are bad. You, you know her problems can't be fixed by you anymore, and you wonder, am I enough to be who she needs me to be? Can I give him what he needs from a mom as a grown-up? And you are enough. With God's help, you are. He gave you this one to love and support. I've heard that for a mother, your child is every age he ever was. He may not remember his baby years or toddler toys or middle school heartbreak, but you do. You can get a glimpse of his face at every age. You still have the memory of holding her while she cried her heart out over a boy that has long since moved out of your lives. You saw your child sleeping sweetly and peacefully as baby, toddler, child, teen, and grown-ups. And moms were blessed to have been allowed to be there. In all those years, in all those seasons, even when we didn't feel like enough, God was there and is there to fill in the gaps, to do more than we could or can do. Oh, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> thank you. Wherever your child is and whatever stage, trust him or her to God. God is enough.